Aya doesn't get a fucking shout out on the podcast. <laughs> he got one last week. Oh, that's true. He did. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, we're back. Paul. Yeah. Partially. Right, Angelo. You didn't even get a chance to really debrief us on what happened at uh, Joshua Parker. Was it as boring to sit there and watch that fight live as it looked on TV? I, it was actually pretty good there live, I'll be honest. I was, uh, it was a bit more tense, I think, there live rather than on TV. It was, it, I watched it again on TV. I don't know why, but I watched it again. Yeah, that, uh, that's I can understand why people, yeah, it was, it was an error. But it was fun there. Which ref was more involved in the action? The ref from Joshua Parker or the ref from Lesnar Reigns? Oh, good question. Uh, I, I think I think you should probably ask which ref was more incompetent and probably <laughs> go with Joshua Parker. Okay. We'll, we'll get to more on that a little later on in the podcast, like towards the end. So if you don't want to hear us talk about that, you could just skip out on all that. But we're back. This is Paul. Paul is our new posh British accent guy. Yeah, pretty much. That's How- the only reason you got me in, just the accent. Well, Simon just had his baby, so like, shout out to him. <laughs> it's not for sale. Oh, that... Look, I'm fine. I'm fine with being the British replacement. I'll deal with it. I'm like the Frank Warren of the uh, of the podcast now. Frank Warren would probably say though that he's been around longer than Eddie Hearn. He probably would, yeah. But I want to ask but... you this question: yeah. Does Eddie Hearn still use a fax machine? I mean, probably. I don't know. I think that's exclusively Frank Warren. It may be Bob Arum, too. They're probably the last two dudes in boxing that use fax machines. Do you reckon they just fax each other bitching about younger promoters? Um, no, they fax each other pictures of Anthony Yard. <laughs> well, we should uh, get into this before um, anybody wonders what that is all about. You should, if, if you're like, what are these guys talking about? Anthony Yard? A picture? Just, no. You want to You want to hear us talk about Arizona Delara versus Jared Hurd. And the first question, so if you didn't see it, and if you didn't, that's a real shame. You should go stop listening to this podcast and go watch it. Um, Hurd takes a, a split decision over Lara. And I ask you, is this the leader in the house so far this year for fight of the year? I think it's pretty up there. I think it was a really good fight. I mean... I was I was very prepared for Lara to send me straight to sleep. I was actually looking forward to a little early snooze from Lara. But then, man, what a fight. Uh, I still think maybe Rungvisai Estrada's up there as well. Um, but yeah, it's definitely huh. definitely in the conversation for fight of the year. I, I so might far. have to go rewatch that fight because I don't I didn't feel like it was that great at all. I, th- I feel it was more like the tension of the fight led to it being a... Uh, maybe viewed as a better fight but this one was clearly just a bit of bit of blood and guts action the whole way through which is something you don't really associate with Arizona Lara I mean I think it's absolutely if not the leader it's very close uh I think what made this fight so good is that Lara really fought outside of himself like we all know what a Lara fight is like we've seen him fight guys that have come to, to to try to knock him out and it just doesn't go well and the fact that he fought outside of his style made it so much better because it was like a big deal that it, there was action because what you expected was Lara to just outbox Hurd, Hurd to look like 
a big idiot and then lose a super wide decision like that partly you know you always have to measure what your expectation was going in mm. and if your expectation was laura's gonna do what laura does this was amazing first of all just that laura was offen offensive first of all and then the second thing is i actually think so heading into this fight there were basically two ways this fight was going to play out one laura does laura two her does herd which is to say laura will outbox him for i don't know six or seven rounds before Heard stops him. And Heard would basically well, stop him by being a big guy who imposes his size and all that stuff. Almost happened. It almost did. But I think following that made it more exciting because I was like, holy crap, this is actually going to go down how we expect it to go. And usually you would think if it's a fight is predictable, it's not that fun. But, I mean, watching Heard do his thing is never not fun. And especially yeah. when he has a guy like Laura who's... I don't know. Probably consider you would. Would you? Wouldn't you consider him a bit of a heel in boxing? Yeah, I think he's seen as a heel because he, he's, you know, not the most exciting fighter to watch. He's just robbing everyone of seeing violence. That's what it is. <laughs> he's just, you know, he's just looking after himself, hit and not get hit. I mean, it had enough drama. Were Were you at any point um, convinced that Lara was going to get stopped? Uh, yeah, there were a few times where I was like, Heard is just going to walk all over him and this is going to be it. That sort of this round, next round, Lara looks tired, but he, man, absolute credit to him. He just dug down and he said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to try and outfight this guy, which might not have been the right thing to do, but it's probably anything he could even try to keep Heard off him. That, that brings up a really, like, I think an interesting question, um, is that how, where do you rate Airsland Lara now. If you look at fighters from the past, say five or six years, um, actually you'd probably go back longer because Lara's been around a long time. Um, where do you rate Lara? Like just looking back on his career, like let's say he has only a couple more fights left in him. How do you remember Lara? I think I mean Lara's a good fighter. He's got a great resume. Um sort of you go but I he's gonna be remembered for the Canelo fight, I think. Uh -huh. Um well people are gonna say People who don't like Canelo are going to say that was, you know, he lost that fight. Um, but he has, he's had a good resume and he's, he's just been a good champion, a solid champion at 154. You know, he's, he's fought since, since uh, sort of Trout, he's fought some good fighters. Obviously, you had Canelo. But then I think he, he really stunk out his own reputation, though, obviously, with just those absolute bore fests. Right. And I think he's pretty clearly a fighter who sort of fights to the level of his opposition at times. So if he's against someone who's who's going to be negative and boring, then he's just going to outbox you and also be negative but boring. And Hurd clearly brought out the best side of him. I have... Um, if you look at Lara's resume, and you, you got to measure or just kind of take take stock for yourself if if you're... Before you hear this, like, where do you... What do you really think about Lara? And put it aside and just take into consideration a couple of things. I know he's boring, but if you look back at his career, he's had a stellar one. His, rec his record is, isn't pretty. 25 wins, 3 losses, 2 draws, right? But let's just look back at, at the blemishes. A draw with Carlos Molina. He fights to the level of his opposition. That's absolutely accurate, but I don't think he lost this fight. Molina, if you look at all of his fights, he's got a ton of draws and, and losses because he just makes fights ugly. But it's yeah. clearly Lara's the better boxer there. 
His loss to Paul Williams is one of the most disgusting um, robberies that we've seen in boxing. And if you're about to say anything from the past two years, um, you need to go back and watch that fight because it's a classic example of a volume puncher getting outboxed and somehow the volume puncher got it when they were completely ineffective the whole fight. Vonis Martirosian, um, Lara draws with him and it's revealed afterward that the fight was fixed. He loses to Canelo in what many felt shouldn't have been a loss. And if you just take that perspective of like, okay, well, what if he had different luck that night? That is a win. And it's not even considered a robbery. So that's mm. four blemishes already that we've gone through that were probably wins. Yeah, absolutely. And then he has the the fight with um, Heard this weekend that, again, with a little luck, he wins the fight. I mean, he stays on his feet. If he stays on his feet there, if he doesn't get caught by that left hook, he probably wins that last round and wins the fight. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. that's how close it is. It's it's literally one left hook from from being a, a you know a unified champion. And we're talking about like again with different luck, we have a thirty and O fighter who's never been beat. Obviously, if you're thirty and O, like you've never been beat, that was like <laughs> a completely redundant statement. I know, but th- the point is. Lara is going to be one of the unsung heroes of this of this generation, and there are guys like this in, in a few weight classes that if we if I really looked at it, I can come up with a few more. But guys, who's you know, it seems to happen to Cuban guys. It seems to happen to guys without an exciting style. Yeah, absolutely. But you got to ask yourself at the end of the day, boxing's a money sport; it's an entertainment sport. Did Lara entertain? Apart, obviously, his last fight, a hundred percent. Would you say Lara entertained before that? No, and I'm. I, I'm with you on that one, totally with you on that one. Um, and and that's partly why Lars probably got the record he does, is mm-hmm. that, look, you didn't give as much as or well, you have to give to the sport in order to get. And Canelo is a guy who's brought a lot to the sport, so yeah. he's gotten a lot. Uh, when the scorecard or when the fights are close, he ten- the, the judges tend to err on his side. Now, is is that right? No, no, (laughs) it's not fair, but look, this sport we've known, like we know it's not a fair sport when guys like Amir Khan are allowed to jump up and wait and fight, um, the lineal middleweight champion for whatever that means. Um, and they get knocked out and it's completely okay with everybody. You know, that's just the way the sport goes. Um, yeah, but for you moving back onto the, to the fight, like were the scorecards accurate in your eyes? Yeah, I had it. I had it. One fourteen, one thirteen to herd. Um, that knockdown was absolutely crucial in the fight. But it was one of those fights which it was so close that a few of the rounds you could have gone either way. And like at the end of the day, if it had been a draw, I don't think anyone really would have complained. But yeah, I thought the scorecards were accurate, which was nice. Nice to see for once. Um, but yeah, I was just amazed at, at what a good fight it was and how absolutely horrible herd looks to fight against i mean that just is a nightmare for anyone fighting him i i think one of the first few times i saw him fighting i just compared him to michael myers like no matter (laughs) what you do he's coming back and he just like has that kind of like upright slow pace forward it's just like a a horror movie um i agree with you the scorecards were 100 percent accurate but I also 100% degree, disagree with the result. Now, it's not a okay. robbery. I'm not going to say that there was any injustice here. I think I scored it for Lara. 
114, okay. 113. And I, I, but I don't, I'm not going to say you're wrong or the judges were wrong because two of them thought heard one. I just think that this is a fight where basically it, it reveals a bit about you. It reveals what you score in fights. Yeah. Absolutely. I prefer the cleaner work that Laura did in the first six rounds. I mean, he, Heard got some shots in in the first six rounds, no doubt. But Laura outboxed him, and even oh yeah, one hundred percent. And but, I I was shocked that Heard was able to take those shots and just keep walking forward. Yeah, Heard's chin is is something else. I mean, there was a there was a massive uppercut that Lara landed sort of in the middle of the fight, and I was like, all right, this is going to be start the turnaround. I think Heard Heard's going to have to start you know doing something else. And Heard just kind of looked at him and went, yeah, all right, and then just kept going forward. And I was like, okay, Lara cannot knock this guy out. Yeah, I mean, imagine being Lara, what that must have been like. You're in the eighth round, and this guy's starting to come on a little bit. You give him your best shot, or one of your best shots, and he's just like, continues to do what he's been doing. It's got to be like, um, I mean, I guess we could ask this question. Do you think Hurd broke Lara mentally in this fight? Yeah, well, I, I'm not sure he broke him mentally. I think he just took him to a place that Lara couldn't get out from. Lara, you know, he was he outboxed him for the first few rounds. And then once his, you know, that sort of start of the fight sharpness started to go a bit, he just realized that he could not keep Heard off him. And Heard was just absolutely massive and was just going to beat him up for the rest of the fight. And Lara did, he did really, really well against that style. I don't think there's really anything else he could have done. There was going to be no sort of smart footwork and stuff like that because Heard is just going to catch up with you. But I don't think he... You know, I don't think he, he broke him down mentally, but I, I he put a beating on him and towards the last couple of rounds. And he just, I think he physically broke him down more than mentally. You could see what Lara wanted to do, but Herd, Herd was just too big. I, I agree. Um, Herd, this was a physically taxing fight for both guys because I felt in the final round that Herd didn't really have much left. But Laura had less left because the shot that dropped him wasn't a shot that you would normally see a guy go down from. It was kind of just like a, a slapping left hook that connected cleanly, but it wasn't like the loaded up shot that, that like Laura wasn't on shaky legs. So it's hard for me to 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 measure how hurt Laura was, but I, I think I, I I really think that Laura, this is it for him. I mean he gave everything in this fight, went outside of what usually works for him, and then did also what usually works for him, and nothing worked. Mm. It, it, it reminded me of um, the Julian Williams and Jamal Charlo fight, where Williams did what Williams does and did it well, but Jamal Charlo was just like, this is not going to work. Let me show you why. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I... I and at 34 years old, Laura, now, I, that's why, you know, I'm saying, I look back on, on his career, like, I think this is it. This is the last ride of uh, Arizona de Laura. I don't think that there's any amount of training or adjustments you can make um, that's going to enable you to have more stamina going in, into the 12th. To yeah, I mean, after, the, after that sort of fight, absolutely. That's why I'm not, I've seen a few people sort of calling for the rematch and things like that. I just, I've, I'm not that interested in it. It was a wonderful fight. But the rematch is going to be the same result, but more conclusively, I think. Um, Heard is just, he's obviously younger, fresher guy. That fight took a hell of a lot out of Lara. And I think Heard would, would break him down even more 
if it, if it happened again. So you think that he should 100% go for Charlo? Uh, what heard? Yeah, that would be a wonderful fight. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you have Charlo, who's so sharp, such a good jab, just just an all-round good fighter, and then he's just going to have someone in his face who's not going to take a step back. I mean, I'd I'd love to see that. Um, I, I, I think if they're going to do a rematch, they definitely do. Like this is the time you got to just you got to go for it. Mm, yeah. 100%. There's Laura has probably one more fight at the elite level where he's still going to look like Laura. And if they're going to do it, they got to do it now because it's it's going to be a sad sight when they go for it and it's like, "Oh, Laura's shot. He looks like Gamboa in there." So I, the time is 100% now, I think. Um I I I like the Charlo fight, no doubt about it, but my question is, do we need to do it now? Uh, I'm not entirely sure whether we need to do it now, just because... But I'll, I'll, in fairness, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that with another question. Who else are they going to fight? Um, like, realistically, who at 154 do you, do you want to see them in with? Well, that I mean, that's a totally different question of, like, who's actually available. Um, <laughs> Kel Brook. I mean, Kel, Kel Brook was there. He was. That's what happens when you go to a fight. You get called out by everyone. I, you know, you have Kel Brook, obviously Heard and, and, and Charlo and even Laura destroy Kel Brook. Yeah, I hate to say that him. to British fans who are listening, but let's be real for a second. Charlo does not, or sorry, not Charlo. Brook does not belong at 154 pounds. He's, he, he was always just, we've always thought that Kel Brook is just a big welterweight. That's it. But then you got him in the ring with Spence and it's like, okay, he's, he's on the bigger end, but not uncommonly or like his his size is that big of an advantage it's just a, a big advantage when you're fighting like a guy like amir khan who started at 135 or whatever uh at mm. 154 I, I mean i don't even know if brooke could beat julian williams oh i i think he would beat julian williams yeah, i think I, I he's not know. he's not quite slid that much i i agree with you that he doesn't beat it the top guys. I mean, he was a big welter, yeah, and that was kind of his thing. But look how big people like Hurd and Charlo are. Like, Brooke is, would give away a lot of weight, a lot of reach, a lot of length. Williams and... is the same size as Charlo. Yeah, but he fights smaller, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think that could be a problem for Brooke. Um, Brooke needs a guy to, like, in order for Brooke to be successful at 154, he's going to need to fight guys that he can outbox, that he can stay on the outside. And, and he does, like, uh, an inside fight for Brook is a nightmare. And it's why I like his chances against Khan at this point. Because mm. Khan's not going to get inside and try to get dirty. Those guys are going to give Brook a hell of a time. Yeah, but th there are guys out there for, for these guys to fight. And, and the reason why I say that is because you potentially have one of the, the, the most highly anticipated fights in the sport between Hurd and Charlo. Not only do you have two guys that are young to the same age, that are both big for the division... And that are in their prime, but you have two guys that fight in a style that everyone wants to see. Yeah. So absolutely. do you rush into that? I mean, I, I imagine that they probably won't rush into it because they they'll, they're going to want to build that. Because I mean, that's a that's just such a big fight for that division. I mean, it's, it it'll, it'll be so much fun to watch. I I would want it straight away. As a greedy boxing fan, I'm like, yeah, let's let's make it happen. I, I'm, Whether or not I get the that. people in charge make it happen, I I don't I'm not sure they will. Next fight. 
yeah, I think this is, I mean, this is a kind of fight that you, 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 it, you anchor an entire season of boxing around. Yeah. Like this, this, this could be like, uh, the way Showtime was propping up, um, Wilder Ortiz. Like this is the headliner of headliners. And if you're not going to do pay-per-view fights, like, you know, it's got to be a fight like this. So I think they're going to wait a little bit. Obviously, they will because Charlo fights in June, which puts their next fight for um, if they were going to fight, it would put that fight happening late September uh, or in October. And I could see it happening, but I think they'll hold off a little bit, maybe at least one fight for each guy. I mean, th- but this fight has such potential to do a huge number on uh, on the ratings because like they these guys get people talking yeah absolutely uh, and yeah i'm I'm not cool with the rematch um i mean hurt is just an anomaly at 154 like he's huge and but his style he's so vulnerable and he's willing to be vulnerable in the ring and all he does is grind like if he was shorter he would basically be a journeyman <laughs> Um, here's a question for you. Why do so many why do you think so many Cuban fighters have recently lost? Good question. I think a lot of them are reaching, obviously, because of, of the way they have to come into the sport. They spend so long in the amateurs. A lot of them are reaching the end of their careers already. A lot of them, by the time they get into pro boxing, are already old. So by the time they get to big fights, they're even older and normally a lot older than the people fighting, which I assume probably doesn't help. Um, and also their styles, their styles sometimes just don't transfer that well to the program. I know, I know there have been some super successful Cuban fighters, but their style is very much age dependent as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much reflex dependent. And when those fighters are then coming in a lot older, you know, it's not going to go as well. Um, oh geez, how hot do I want to go with this one? I, on, I let's think get a hot, let's get a hot take. I think, um, to an extent, this is happening to everybody who loaded up for the um, the 2012 Olympics. Um, and and I think with Cuban fighters, we had a lot of guys who came up around the same time and uh, for the Olympics. And they're basically all just regressing. And that's part of, like, you justified why they're getting older and their styles don't really lend themselves to um, longevity. There's no easy transition for these guys when their whole defense is predicated on having better reflexes than the other guy. Like, it's just always going to be that way. And mm. I think the UK kind of experienced this lately when you guys had a, a ton of dudes lose. And I think it's going to happen <laughs> again when um, this, this you basically the crop from the 2016 games starts to get into their own. I mean, Luke Campbell really threw that one off. But you'll see your guys all take losses in, in a short time span uh, just because they're all going to hit the same age around the same time. Yeah, it's very much you know a, a cyclical thing with these sort of amateurs who come up. They win gold or whatever at the Olympics and they go pro. By the time they're built up, if they're not built up quickly enough, by the time they're in those top fights, they're already hitting their, their yeah. age limit. And that's why sort of really fast tracking these amateur fighters, if they take an early couple of losses, obviously in terms of a promoter's thing, they don't want that. Right. But it could be the best thing for them. You get them into your these title fights a lot earlier, they're going to have a lot more longevity. 
obviously, you know, you need to melt them for as much money as you can on the way up. Do you think that in today's era, we can have basically a superstar, a pay-per-view type of um, level fighter who's who has had losses on their way up? I mean, could you say that Lomachenko's getting there? Although no. he's probably not quite no, no, big no, no, enough no, no. for a Be- full pay-per-view star, is he? No, we're talking like the Floyd and Manny level. I don't think he could get there. You have to speak fluent English, first of all. I probably mean, not then. Yeah, I, I don't just think, think so either. The O is so hyped now from Floyd. And the, the lack of passing of the torch as well. I mean, you know, De La Hoya gave the torch over. You could say to, to both of them, to both uh, Pacquiao and Mayweather. And, but Mayweather never, never really did that with another star. Sort of to usher in the next generation, if that makes sense. I, um, I think, Do you not agree? I think there's um, one hole in the argument. And that's, uh, that's uh, well, what about Canelo? Because he's basically at that level now. Yeah. And my, my, my counter to that is that the rules don't, like, they're not exactly the same thing when it comes to Mexican fighters. Because there's such a huge built-in fan base for Mexican fighters that you can't judge them on the same um, level or w- w- playing field, I guess, that you would judge other fighters. Because... Um, we know that the Mexican fan base is there because they were there for De La Hoya. They partially supported Pacquiao and, and, but also Marquez. And then they were, are there for Canelo now. So like, we know that if you're a Mexican, you, you can have losses because De La Hoya yeah. had losses and Marquez had losses and Canelo has a loss. Maybe deserves more for, to some of you. I don't know. <laughs> um, but the point stands, I think, um, if you're Mexican, that doesn't necessarily, that's not the case, but there's no precedent for other nationalities or, or ethnic boxers of other ethnicities to, um, I guess what, what I'm trying to say is reach that level of stardom. Yeah, I, I think I agree to a certain extent, but I'm just not sure what you can really do about it because the sort of the mythical zero is now such a, so hyped. People aren't being matched as effectively or as well, which means they don't draw the same sort of sort of viewer base. You know, if you're being matched against equally big stars and things like that, then, you know, you're going to draw more fans. You're going to become a bigger star. But because people are being matched, I think, more carefully, uh-huh. you, you don't get that that same jump in your build up. Suddenly, yeah, you're in a big fight, you know, in the end of your career, but you you haven't become a star by then. You, you never get that breakout fight. If that makes sense. Yeah. It, it, so you're saying that it's tough if you are matched tough. That Look at my English grasp right there. <laughs> um, even that was poor. But you're saying that if you're a prospect, an amateur prospect, maybe a standout, like a Donnie or Yuliasinov who's going to make his debut soon, who gets yeah. matched tough immediately, and by their 10th fight or so, they're already a world champion. Do you think what you're trying to say is, there's no, it's much harder for them to transition into the superstar level because they won't have that signature win. Yeah, they, they won't have that signature win. And, and they also struggle in terms of, of that buildup. If you look at a lot of these sort of the young previous superstars, they had tough fights in, in little halls where they built some of their fan base, which then really sort of 
gave them a steady platform to then spring into sort of becoming a superstar as they transition their career. You don't really get that if you're coming up so much nowadays. And I just, it, it seems very odd to me that, you know, we had such huge pay-per-view stars and there doesn't seem to be anyone, you know, Canelo aside, but we've talked about the reasons why he might be slightly different. There doesn't seem to be anyone popping out as, you know, this is the next pay-per-view star. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I, I th- you know, I, I think that the person we have to blame for this is Adrian Broner. I'll explain. Yes. <laughs> Even though everyone's just like, yes, hate Adrian Broner. Here's the reason why I say that. I think Adrian Broner was the last guy that we kind of assigned the next Floyd, the next pay-per-view superstar, the next big thing in boxing. And what we saw with Broner is that you cannot do that. We saw how much the promoters failed to put Broner in a position to fully succeed. We saw the fact that every time it seemed like they tried to promote him into superstardom, it blew up in their face. He was beat by a, what we... I think it's I mean I think it's fair to say that most people considered Marcos Maidana at the time of that fight a journeyman or a gatekeeper who could mm. not hang at the world level and Maidana gets elevated into stardom because he beat Broner and when you're that villain that Broner can play that character but you don't have the talent people will watch but they won't pay to watch Yeah absolutely they they'll watch to see you lose and, but not to the point of Floyd and Broner has ruined it for, for everyone because I think most fans now are like, uh, yeah, I don't know about um, I don't know about that. I, I don't let's wait and see. I think fans are just now cautious. I think it's um, I mean, I'm trying to think of an analogy for it, but I think people get the point. Like, yeah, Broner is is he was that guy. I think he ruined it for everybody. Now, is it good or bad? I don't know. There's, there's there's good and bad parts to this. I think, you know, the bad part is that we don't have a guy that we're all behind. Like everyone I think is kind of scared in this era to fully get behind a boxer because of the potential that if they lose, they're damaged goods. The UK doesn't seem to have this problem because Joshua, um, everyone's behind Joshua and nobody cares. Like even if like it's likely he might lose against Wilder or there's a high potential, I should say, that he loses to Wilder, nobody cares. They just want to see the fight, really. Right. Or, and they and just... I mean, if he loses, if he loses to Wilder, I don't think he loses his huge superstar appeal either. I like, obviously, you know, he he'll take a little bit of a of a chunk for the loss, but I don't think he'll be anywhere near as bad as if, say, a, a big a big hyped US star lost. Right, and that's the thing. Um, so here's what. I, you you have to tell me because you're an outsider. You also are a student of the political game, so you probably have a, 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 a pretty complete understanding of the American people. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't say that much. Well, we're, we're about I'll, to make I'll some to, sweeping generalizations that are <laughs> probably not cool. But anyway, um, I think that deep inside, Americans really don't like to be wrong. And my evidence for this is how much we are triggered by our prospects losing. Like if you want to piss off an American boxing fan, the only thing you got to do 
is bring up a few simple words. Joe Calzaghe exposed Jeff Lacey. <laughs> it's five words, and you have an argument on your hands. Yeah, immediately. Like, you, you just, here come the excuses. All like, American, Americans are so triggered by Joe Calzaghe because he beat three of our guys. Jeff Lacey, I mean, we can't really call him our guys, but then once you bring up Joe Calzaghe, you get people, like, defending Jeff Lacey who've never seen him fight. Yeah. You, you, then you bring up the fact that he beat Hopkins and, and Roy Jones, and it's like a full-on argument. And we just don't like to be wrong. And I think for a lot of fans, they do not want to hear what uh, anybody talking about a future um, pay-per-view star because it's like, you're going to jinx it. Uh, here's here's evidence. So you, our culture, baseball is ingrained in it. Whether you think about it or not, just watch how you speak talking to Americans. Watch how you speak. You use baseball terminology all the time and yeah. you don't even realize it probably. And you British people probably do too because you just copy our culture all the time. <laughs> you know that's true. That's our biggest export, our culture. Well, Don't at me. Debatable. Debatable. Don't at me. You know <laughs> it's true. Mr. I lived in, in New York for a year or two or 10 years. I don't yeah. know. Uh, yeah, I was, I was our biggest export. <laughs> um, nope, nope. I, I just not making any jokes about that. But anyway, um, in our culture also in baseball, one of the things in baseball is like, it's very superstitious. Yeah. If a pitcher's got a no hitter going, you do not talk about the fact that he's got a no hitter. You don't talk to the pitcher. If he's got a perfect game going, you don't even mention the fact that, that it is like, you just don't, you don't spell it. You don't do anything. You like, you, you make hints to it, but the moment you do, it's like, you're going to jinx him. And then somehow if you mention that somebody's got a no hitter and then you tune in, like he gives up a hit the next inning. And I think this is a long way to say that there's like a culture of not wanting to be wrong about anything that we have. I don't know what it's like in the UK because I'm not from there based off of how I talk. You understand that. And um, where we're going with this, I have no clue anymore. Um, I, oh, why I would agree with you to some fighters extent. lost recently? <laughs> no, I think, I think you're right in a sense that people don't really want to be wrong. Like, I think that that's the same for everyone in the world, maybe a little bit more with Americans sometimes. And for that reason, people aren't, don't want to be as keen on prospects. I think it, it happens less in the UK. I'd say. I mean, I've seen people who talk about some UK prospects like they're the next coming of Roy Jones. But yeah, you certainly see that. it in American sport where people do not want to be wrong. And I, I agree with you that this, it means that they just don't get behind their fighters as much as they could. Because they, you know, they're not scared, but they, they don't want it, it to come about that, you know, he gets schooled by a British fighter as usual. And then, you know, they're, <laughs> they're in another Calzaghe argument. Right. Let me ask you this. Um, do you have a lot of front running in, in British sports? Like, who's the number one team in soccer right now? Uh, Manchester City. Are there a lot of Manchester City uh, jerseys out right now? Uh, no. Okay, yeah, see, we, you, when the, when the Lakers are in the playoffs, it don't matter what city you're in. You're going to see somebody wearing Laker gear. You see Yankee hats everywhere and Dodger hats everywhere. Why? Not just because they're major market teams, but because, I mean, 
they're the the number one teams or you know the Yankees obviously aren't the number one team they were at a time but their era has passed this is the Dodgers uh era now even though they lost the World Series um <laughs> but the Warriors okay they're the most dominant team in the NBA possibly the greatest team ever constructed in any team sport in history yeah warrior fans everywhere I mean, you, I've even seen that in the UK. You, you randomly just see a Warriors jersey. Whereas, like, what, six years ago, you could have asked someone, you know, what, what sport is that? And they wouldn't have been able to tell you. Yeah, exactly. So, you, I guess, again, you guys copy your culture and you're <laughs> copying one of the not so good parts of it, and that's front running or being a bandwagon fan. But I just think everyone wants to roll with the top guy. Where, where are we going with this? I don't know. Um, we should get back on track somehow because I don't really know how we, or why we got on this subject. We just went on a bit of a tangent. How about, okay, I've got a question for you. Sure. All right. James DeGale. Yeah. Yeah. That's a guy. How, a British how, guy. He's, he's British. Yeah. How did he look against Caleb Trax? Uh, okay. Okay. I like this question. Okay. And it's probably going to answer a few of the things that I wrote down that we should talk about, but whatever. Um, I don't know why I hated the fight. I absolutely hated the fight, but I'm actually really excited to talk about it. Um, I thought that James DeGale looked really good. I thought, now, am I saying he looked like Floyd Mayweather? No, I'm not saying Interesting. that. I think that what we saw is that DeGale's matured a lot as a fighter. Like the ring IQ might be in the double digits now. <laughs> Just about. Let's not be too generous here. For <laughs> We're not coming from much. <laughs> uh, but DeGale looked like a guy who seems to have figured it out. He seems to realize what his limitations are, what kind of fighter he should be, what's not worked in the past, and what does work about him. And he, he did all of that. Now, there's also a couple of things that we could point to, but I thought he just showed a lot of maturity in this fight. And this James DeGale... I think can hold his own at 168 against the best guys. Does he beat him? See, all? I disagree with you. I I strongly disagree with that. Okay, let's let's hear what you got to say. I think James DeGale has an amateur hangover style, and it's a good style for him, and it's worked because he's beaten some great fighters. But once again, like we talked about the Cubans, it is a style that is reliant on your reflexes. It's reliant on your speed, and those things are starting to go. I mean, if you had a look at the Barry Jack fight. I had Badu Jack winning. I don't know about you, but look how much punishment a slick <laughs> boxer took in that fight. And every fight since, he has been cut up, busted up. His mouth is getting busted up. Yep. He's taking way too many shots for someone who's supposed to be a sort of defensive counterpuncher. Yeah. I just, I just think he's lost that little, that little step, and he's lost that little bit of motivation. And that's, that's just not what you need at the top level. Okay, I, I see your points. I totally see your points, and I'm not going to say that you're wrong or disagree with them or anything like that. I think um, DeGale did, like, he's flawed. I totally agree with that. But I think what we saw is DeGale start to figure out that he is flawed himself because most of the time what really hurts fighters is the fact that they are unwilling or lack the awareness to confront themselves from an objective place yeah luke campbell's an example this is a guy that somehow got it into his head that he's a power puncher well what happens he faces a journeyman who he should have based what it should have been his coronation fight 
into the world level. It, it, it seemed obvious that the next step for, for Campbell was stardom, a defense, and then world domination. But what ended up happening is he got beat up because he fought in a really stupid style. Yeah. And and I think DeGale looked like a guy that knows he's like the the his physical attributes are declining and he's got to switch things around. And I thought he was just slick enough defensively. He was just dirty enough. And I think his headbutts were intentional, but he did all of that just enough that he will clearly beat Caleb Truax today or yesterday, today, tomorrow, the next day. He, there's no way he ever loses to Truax again. I, I agree, but I want you just to realize what you've just said, okay? That you are speaking about DeGale in such a complimentary tone, but then you're saying he'll definitely beat Caleb Truax. Okay, so, yes. That, I mean, like, let's let's just compare, like, levels here. Do you think George Groves beats Caleb Truax? Yeah, he would iron him out. Like, I don't know Caleb about Truax, that. Caleb Truax got KO'd by Jacobs, and Groves hits a lot harder than Jacobs. That was at 160. And? He's he's small as a super middle. He's not that big as a super middle. And someone like Groves, who is massive, it would beat him up. I don't like that we've somehow pound because for pound Jacobs is a bigger puncher than Groves. And if you disagree with that, you're delusional. No, I, I'm not saying pound for pound he's a bigger puncher. But when you move up in weight, the power does normally make a difference. Yeah, and and funny funny enough, DeGale, who's was thought of as kind of a big puncher, wasn't he? I mean, he, he dropped Darrell when he came over. Everyone thought that this guy can punch, but it, it just hasn't had any inf- impact on Caleb Truex. But you're now, you're doing what I do on the podcast to everybody is you're trying to get me to argue against my point. Uh, possibly. But all, what I'm trying to say is that having Caleb Truex as the benchmark for world level super middleweights, I don't think is the right way to go. Well, I, I wasn't saying that. I'm saying that I can <laughs> see DeGale, because we already considered DeGale a world level before that first Truex fight. He lost yeah. to Badu Jack, but it was close enough that you could say that, okay, DeGale didn't get outclassed here. Yeah, it was a close fight. He's not a bum. Um, and that first, so, and, and a lot of people, I think, or here, look at me making up straw man arguments, but I think there was, no, I'm going to do it again. You could say that, just just try to figure out a different way to say what I, I like, just not even going to change my point. Just try to see if I can get away with it. No, but DeGale from that first fight, I think you can interpret that as like, maybe that was a fluke. Maybe all the things we've heard about DeGale, about him not being motivated, him not being that great or ever really taking training that serious, maybe that was the case and he got caught by a guy who isn't that good, Right. I think you could possibly look there and, and see that, but I, I here's the thing, I'll I will argue your point because I was thinking about this. What's different this time around? It wasn't all that just DeGale De like took a step forward, or at least stepped back into where he was before the fight, right? Yeah. And the only thing I can think of is that Truex came in heavy. He did like, look he did look slightly like he'd overtrained. He wasn't as willing to throw volume like he did in the first fight, which is what won him the fight. Was right. He, he would get DeGale into a corner on the ropes and he would throw volume. Whereas this time, he was just trying to pick single right hands. And against someone like DeGale, that's just not going to work. You have to be able to throw in combination. I, and I, yeah, he looked, he looked a little bit overtrained almost. He just didn't look like he could throw in combination. And whether that's DeGale making him look like that, 
Well, that's a separate question, but I, I agree with you that something, it wasn't all DeGale getting 100% better that made the fight like that. I think, I don't know if the, uh, Truex actually overtrained. It looked like he might have undertrained with the intention of like, hey, we don't want, we want to be able to rehydrate to be heavier because what worked the first time around was to bully DeGale into the ropes. Mm. So they come in heavier, but what that means is that Truex was a lot slower than DeGale. Yeah. And so he couldn't get punches to land because he was just getting countered. So Truex became gun shy and didn't want to throw unless the, the time was perfect and he could get a shot without getting hit back. And it ended up just basically being Truex follows DeGale around for 12 rounds, gets headbutted a few times, lands a punch here or there and clinches. I mean, that wasn't clinch. That wasn't inside fighting, by the way. That no, was absolutely just not. holding and just whacking each other. Occasional slap while you're hugging. That looked like if you just got two random dudes off the street and let them fight, but you made them <laughs> run a mile first and then threw them in the ring. That's what that looked like. Now, I don't... Yeah, that's fair. Do you think that's... Do you, would you put a little bit of blame on the ref as well? Absolutely. I think that was I on mean, the ref. I think he, he was clearly pretty poor. That The point off from DeGale don't, was... Don't, yeah. don't even think about insulting Tony Weeks. I'll cut you. I'm pretty sure it wasn't it Robert Bird. Uh, it might have been. Now I gotta Do look what, this up. Would you like me to check for you? Well, we'll see who gets there first. Um, but I'm pretty sure it was. Oh, Robert, uh, it was Robert, Robert Bird. Bird. All right, you could you could insult Robert Bird. Um, yeah. See. Okay, that's fine. You can you can totally insult Robert Bird, but just not Tony Weeks. Like you cannot insult a dude with that fade. Like it's just <laughs> not happening. He does okay? have a good fade. But no, I thought Robert Bird was pretty awful, to be honest. I could not, I couldn't understand the point taken off. He was bad in the clinches. The Gale got oh, away with just headbutting entire time. No, the head. Look, the, the point deduction was warranted. The Gale should have had that point taken off way earlier. And yeah, this the, is the part used, about him that's bad. He used the shoulder as an excuse to take the point off for the earlier headbutts. No, I think he had done it before, but it was super egregious to the point that if you would have just taken it and he hadn't done it before, that would have been like, all right, just take the point off because that was just like, like imagine if you and me are boxing and I just throw an elbow at you. Yeah. And I connect Brock Lesnar style <laughs> and you gush blood. What is the ref going to do? Just warn me like, hey, don't do that again. Yeah. I, I thought think Bird was super poor, which obviously didn't help with how bad a fight it was to watch. Right. I, I, I thought DeGale should have had a point deducted for holding within the first four rounds. Like, that was one of the storylines of the night that just didn't get discussed enough. Like, DeGale was holding. That's true. And then Truex just had no clue what to do. They both should have had a point deducted. Truex just had absolutely nothing to do on the inside. DeGale would kind of tie him up, but he, he wouldn't even work. He would just stand there doing nothing. That's what confused me the most. He, he had to have activity and work rate to win that fight. And whenever it got up close, he just didn't want it. He wanted it at mid-range, where DeGale's better skills were, were going to show. So it, it looked like really bad tactics from Truax as well. Yeah, I think this is definitely a situation where like the fight was lost in the game plan. Like Physically, mm. he, it seemed like he should have like he, he been able to be effective with what he wanted to do. But I think what we just saw is that he, what he wanted to do was the wrong thing. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, um, what do you think should be next for uh, DeGale? I think DeGale will fight the winner, the the, the winner of the WBSS. I think because it's, it's two British guys, it's going to be Grove Smith, and I think he'll probably fight the winner of that. 
and I I think he loses to both of them, to be honest. Oh God, are you about to be a stand for Callum Smith? I okay, I am not Callum Smith's biggest fan. I think he is a limited fighter, but I think that DeGale has reached the point where he's not going to beat the 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 top guys at super middle. You got to be and, kidding me right now. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna die on this as well. I do I don't think that he beats either of them. I think he get I, he definitely loses to Groves. We, he's already lost once to Groves. He definitely loses to him. And, okay, I'll ask you this. Does he beat Eubank? Mm. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, actually, he does. Okay, so you think he beats Eubank, who is a better pressure fighter than Caleb Truax. Whoa, 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 whoa. We know know Eubank's limitations, i.e. if you have a jab, you win the fight. But DeGale hasn't used his jab particularly well in his last few fights. And say what you will about Eubank, he has great work rate and he's a better inside fighter than Caleb Truax. Um, yeah, but Eubank is absolutely clueless when it comes to footwork. Yes. The guy, every basic boxer can beat Eubank. <laughs> you had Spike O'Sullivan wobbling this guy. That's true. Yeah, but he's gonna he's gonna he's about to become a unified middleweight champion. So I don't know why you're being mean to him. <laughs> Eubank should go back down to middleweight and fight Golovkin. <laughs> if you ask I, me, I mean, I think Eubank. I think Eubank was a better fighter in middleweight. But yeah, it's another debate. I mean, he could fight at one fifty four. I think, but the, <laughs> the point is, um, I don't see. I think that's a pretty fifty fifty fight, uh, DeGale and Eubank, and. I think DeGale is better than Callum Smith. Callum Smith is is a, a, a one-dimensional fighter who only knows how to do one thing. And the so moment, is DeGale. And, and Groves is going to expose that. And, I, think, and yeah, Groves, I don't think Groves is that good. Like, 168 is pretty weak. Yeah. Because we're talking about George Groves. Like, he's this, like, Floyd Mayweather of the division. And it's just like, if we take a second and just really think about what we're saying, it's like... George Groves is like the number one guy in a, in a division. What world do we live in? I mean, yeah, that that shows how weak it is. George Groves is unanimously the number one at super middle, and you know he's he's a flawed fighter, which is which is what makes Groves exciting is that you know that he has flaws. That's why a lot of people watch him fight. Like he, he's in fun fights. Now I was gonna say the same thing, but I actually think I was just I just had written down Groves George Groves rematch. Because win or lose, if Groves, Groves loses, I still would go for that rematch if I'm DeGale. Because there's a built-in storyline. Yeah, it's the most money that they'll make for a fight at 168. But because you said that, I'm going to um, give you the best idea for our friend James DeGale. Okay. The absolute best. Like If you are sitting there listening and you're like, this can't be true, you need to sit down. What should be next for James DeGale... And the best move that he can make for his career is to fight Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. I hadn't thought of that. Tell me why that's not a great fight for him. How big a draw is Jr. still in the, in the States and Mexico? Enough Mexico? to get DeGale close to a million dollar payday. Okay. Well then, but what does he, what does he, I guess apart from money, what does he get from that fight? He has a name on his resume. Like you is British people will eat that up. You know the British casuals will eat it up. But, we, but I mean, Chavez is just an absolute husk of a human at this point. Like, I mean, it's probably dubious whether he even makes 168 now. 
And that fight is just would just be just such a one-sided. I agree with you. If you're James DeGale and you can get a million dollars to go to the states and fight him, then yeah, do it immediately. Sign it today. But as a boxing fan, I don't want to see that fight. Right. It's a complete face turn for DeGale. I think for British fans, like it really endears them to him that he beats up this Mexican guy um, who's got a name. Who's got the problem some... is that DeGale. Has obviously he had his career in the states. He's he's his advisor was Heyman and all sorts of stuff. And now he's come back and signed with Frank Warren on still a deal advised here. By in Heyman. Who he's still advised by Heyman, yeah. But he, it's a lot less likely that he's going to go and fight someone like Chavez in the states. He, I mean, he was only fighting Truax in the states because he lost, right, the first fight. Um. Well, here's a question that I think is um that needs to be answered if in, for anybody who doesn't know, but how plausible or feasible is it that we actually see these BT Sport guys who are with Frank Warren fight one of Eddie Hearn's fighters? It's not that plausible. I mean, it'll happen if both sides stand to make a lot of money. But because the, the, the issue with it is that they're on separate channels. More than anything, it's is the separate broadcaster's issue. In that you, Sky don't want their fighters who they've built up going and fighting on BT, and BT don't want the fighters they've built up going and fighting on Sky. If right. the money's right, then possibly. I think. I mean, the 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 one that was probably most likely, I would have said was most likely, was uh, Anthony Yard versus Frank Biglione. I thought that might happen if oh, Frank yeah, got through that, his last fight. That big fight everyone wants to see. But, but okay, so who is the who are the big fighters in the same weight divisions between the two of them? Apart, okay, Ron Burnett and Zalani Tete is probably the 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 biggest, like the closest world level two of of the pair, and they're probably going in what looks like is going to be the next well boxing super series anyway. I like how you pick the two fighters like in the division that they really can't afford to not fight each other because there's basically no paydays anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, it's just, it's a difficult situation because they don't want to share fighters onto other channels because they you lose revenue. So unless you earn enough from the fight, unless you're paid enough for the fight to offset that, then they probably won't happen. Okay, so um, what did you learn from the williams Gallimore fight? We have to move on because um, there's like other stuff to talk about. Uh, I've I learned pretty much... I didn't really learn anything. I think Williams is who we who we know he is. He's a good fighter. Um, I think he'll probably lose to all the elites at 154. He's a fun fighter. Um, and yeah, he got put under some pressure, but it was good to see he sort of came back from it. He did well when he got put under pressure. He looked a little bit shaky at times, but we, we know that sometimes he can be shook up. So yeah, I didn't learn too much from it. I'm with you on that. I think uh, basically Williams is... American domestic level. He could contend. Yeah. He could be a gatekeeper. He's certainly not going to be a world champion. Well, I, I take that back. He, he could be a world champion. It's just he's not going to be the top guy in the division. Like, we're not going to sit here and talk about how people are avoiding Julian Williams. You think Kelbrook beats him. Um, I think Williams would beat a Kelbrook. I think he beats a Saddam Ali. And um, that's really it, you know? Uh, I, yeah. I think a, a fight with Kanat Islam, the the Kazakh pros, pros or it's not a prospect, but um, he's a little bit of an unknown 
quantity or entity that hasn't shown up on the world stage yet. Um, he's 33, so he's definitely not a prospect. Um, Jamie, <laughs> How much to stand out? How's that? Yeah, fair enough. But I don't even know if that's accurate, actually. Um, he probably beats a, a Jamie Munguia who um, they think is worthy to fight Gennady Golovkin. That's a whole other story. Uh, but, you know, he's just we, he is who we thought he is. Yeah, he's limited and he's he's a contender. Like he's he's going to be on that level for his career. And I think I think I think that's all, that's we we didn't learn anything new. It just reinforced that from the Gallimor fight. Yeah. Um no point moving on uh any much any more from that card cuz like I don't I don't even know. Well, we've gone on a bunch of tangents, but we've talked for an hour about that basically. Um let's talk about Golovkin for a little bit. He's yeah. he's gonna fight on May fifth, no matter what, without Canelo. But they're gonna move the fight from the MGM Grand Garden Arena, beautiful arena. I love that arena. They're gonna move <clears> it to one that I also love, number one place to watch boxing in the world, StubHub Center. Wembley Stadium. Oh, okay, StubHub Center. Yeah. You you haven't even been to Wembley, Wembley Stadium. <laughs> I mean, you probably have. Like you you know you've probably sat in the owner's box or something. But I, I have been to Wembley in my life, but not for boxing, sadly. Maybe not. Like, if you're not sitting close, I can't, like I can't imagine what it must be like to sit in the stands of a soccer stadium and watch a fight. Like, you're not. You're just watching it on a big TV. Okay, back to StubHub before you go off on another tangent. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why do? You, okay, why have they moved it? In your opinion? Ooh, I, I like I like this question. Um, there's a couple of reasons why I think they they possibly moved it. The most likely scenario is that they weren't moving tickets. That too many people asked for their refund. And there's no way that they can meet what MGM wants to... Because they got to rent the building. Yeah. Right? And MGM certainly not saying like, hey, host the fight here. It's on us. You know, we just want a little little cut, a little something, something of the, the live gate. That's not what's happening. And I think if they look at, okay, well... What's going to be brought to our our um, resorts as far as revenue, and is it worth uh, letting these guys host the fight here? Could we get more money, say, by offering up a different type of event? And what yeah. they looked at is like this isn't good, so we don't really want these guys. And they're probably saying like, hey, to K two or Golovkin's team, whoever, you know, you got to sell this much. And they realize like we cannot do that. We need to get a smaller venue. We'll cut down on costs because we can't pay that much for the purse. And that this is also foreboding for the opponent selection. Because yeah. if this was still going to be a big-time opponent, or at least somebody whose name you would recognize that you might have seen fight on HBO or or um, one of the PBC channels, it's, it's not going to be one of those guys because they would fight at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. So yeah. very likely they're moving to StubHub because it's going to be an opponent they feel can draw locally here in LA. It's going to be a guy who they don't have to pay that much. And basically they know that they can sell out StubHub, but they're really struggling to sell out MGM. Um, I mean, they could probably sell it out, but they can't make the money from the ticket sales that they, that they, that is usually expected when you have an, an event at MGM. I mean, usually at MGM, you're charging like $7,000 for floor seats. Yeah, they it just they can't afford to make it. It won't become profitable enough, so it's more worth moving to StubHub. Yeah, and like 
you know, StubHub's floor seats are anywhere from like 150 to 300 bucks. Like compare that to 7,000, you know? Yeah, exactly. So that's probably why they moved it. So who, who do we think he's fighting then? I, I still think he's going to fight O'Sullivan. I think that's, that's my, that's what I've taken, I think, from, from seeing everything online and things like that. I, I'm, ag- I'm in agreement. I, I do think that, um, oh my God, what the hell am I looking at? So we, sorry, we do have to go on a tangent because I was just okay. looking at the box rec rankings thinking like, okay, um, where, who am I actually looking at? And, O'Sullivan is 27th. Okay, well, if you just look at um, number 16, Konstantin Ponomarev is a top-ranked prospect, and he's one of their better welterweight prospects. But last year, they put him on TV. Was it last year? I think it was last year. They they, they gave him his own, like, headliner on... Uh, no, no, no. This He fought on the undercard of um, the Terrence Crawford versus Felix Diaz. And, yeah. like, he won a decision, which is consistent with what... Ponomarev does he gets decisions like he has no punching power anyway the point I'm ma- gonna make here Jesus he's been a prospect for like ever he's only 25 yes. by the way so like I'll settle down anyway the point I'm making is that this is a 147 pound prospect who's 5'10 and he's like really skinny but he just yeah. fought his most recent fight at a catch weight of what appears to be 158 for the Russian middleweight title yeah what is going on here and he won a unanimous decision and lost a few rounds by the looks of it. Against a guy who was 12 and 6, who had lost five of his last six fights, yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, well, let's, let's hope. That he, it's actually six of his last seven, if you look at it. With Golovkin. Oh, God, I mean, Ponomarev fighting Golovkin. That would be hilarious. I guarantee that fight would last two rounds. Yeah, if that. I okay. mean, that would just be a terrible fight. I don't know, even know why they were considering Mungia. I mean, that was a just a lamb to slaughter wasn't it yeah you so if you're Golovkin's team you have well here's okay this I don't know why I do this stuff but I I am I'm gonna justify why Munguia was a good opponent for him to pick oh god okay yeah I'm ready okay so it's April you know the first or second week of April we're now in the second week of April how many weeks away from the fight are we four 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 weeks maybe three okay and you're sitting here thinking like, well, why don't they get a middleweight? Well, think about this. Usually training camp is six weeks and you prepare for a tr- like a training camp or so. So, you know, you're yeah. getting a little bit into shape before. If you pick somebody at 160, there's potential that he's walking around right now at 180 plus. So you're trying to ask somebody on four weeks notice to prepare for a fight, like tactics and everything and lose weight to get to within 160 it's a tough ass so that's why you're not going to see these guys pick somebody who's currently fighting at 160 unless they're just a gym rat but if you're a gym rat typically who's in shape year round you're either one of the elite fighters or you're just a journeyman who takes fights on short notice all the time so either way those are both opponents either that's a probably not going to take the fight because they're an elite fighter and they're moving to stub up so it's not going to be you or they're a guy that you don't want to see take the fight because you know that's like two rounds and get knocked out so the alternative is you pick somebody at 154 who's walking around closer to 170. Therefore, it's a lot easier to just drop that 10 pounds. I mean, you could just drop it in water weight, but you, it's enough time. It's the right balance so that they can make 160 and actually look like a world champ or not a world champion, but actually look like a prize fighter on the scales. I see. I understand why you said that. And like it, yeah, that does make a certain amount of sense. But at the same time, 
I think they 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 need to pick a middleweight, not for the, like the image because he's gonna he he kind of gets a bit of a pass after after what happened, but because if he if they go in and they serve him up you know a one five four and he absolutely destroys him like it doesn't do as much if you put in this is why I think they'll go O'Sullivan is because he's been on US TV he had a knockout in his last fight at middleweight so he looks like he can fight at middleweight and all this sort of stuff and. He's good in the build-up. They've only got, what, three weeks to build it up. So you need someone who's a bit of a moron, and Spike is, <laughs> is great for that. He's he's good at building up a fight. And I think he takes all the boxes. Okay. So, so that's why I think he'll do it. Which, But, you know, it could be anyone at this point. Okay. A- apart from anyone good. I, as we know, we've established in the past that I'm pretty much a promotional genius. I'm, nobody genius, can yeah, sell. Nobody can sell crap like me. Okay, I'm about to make uh, my gray, pitch. Gray area, but sure, let's go. Gonna make my pitch. So you want a guy who's been a pro for a while, a yeah. guy who's gonna come in close to the same size. Yeah. You're gonna want a guy who's gonna come in and get Mexican fans excited. You're gonna want a guy who's currently enrolled in some sort of drug testing, so you so you don't have to um, basically rehash the whole Canelo situation. You want a guy that's actually fought at middleweight. You want a guy that probably has a fight coming up so that they're basically in training camp already, but they could just cancel that fight and take this one. Mm-hmm. Well, I have the solution. You bring in Ramon Alvarez, Canelo's brother. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> He's fighting in two weeks. Pull out with an injury. Oh, you take no. this fight. Golovkin knocks out Canelo's brother. You you get the storyline that Canelo wants revenge for his brother in the rematch, while Golovkin wants revenge for the failed drug test. I mean, you've sold it well. I'll give you that. You know, you've sold it well. But please, God, no. Look, that would just be awful. This is a brilliant fight. <laughs> have you have you rung Tom Loughley yet with with your idea? Uh, no, I'm trying to. I'm bidding for the fight right now. Okay. If, nice. Since they moved it from StubHub, you know. I mean, you get Canelo Promotions promoting it. Oh my god, as like a co-promoter. <laughs> like this, this, this is this is how everyone wins, including Canelo. Really? What about Ramon? <laughs> look, he's gonna get a payday. He should be lucky. He's gonna like, get beaten up. Look, if he wasn't Canelo's brother, would he have? Would he even be in the running for this fight? He's not in the running for this fight. This is a ridiculous theory. No, no, no. He's in the running. This is, this is. I mean, this is a great idea. Like, what's the alternative? The alternative is not him. <laughs> like, anyone. Derevchenko, possibly. Although they, they won't take that fight, so. Yeah, we've already established he that he's not going to fight one of these top guys because there's a good chance that they're not going to make the weight. And they want, they really want the def, the middleweight um, title defense streak. So he has to fight somebody who can make 160. Yeah. Although Dovachenko recently filed uh, a lawsuit uh, asking for the fight, saying that because he's the mandatory, he should get it. Yeah. Not I, that, not I that love, that's going to work. So the, the, the world of combat sports right now is just a mess. Yeah, you have Derevchenko filing a lawsuit against Golovkin. Like if I would have told you that th- like a month ago, you'd be like, what? <laughs> Did he, what? And then if I would have told you that Conor McGregor would get arrested, you would have probably been like, I believe that. 
But then if I told you for throwing a dolly through a window of a bus, you'd be like, wait a second, throwing a dolly? Like those things are really heavy. Yeah. Like I'm actually going to give him credit for doing that. Yeah, he can take up like shot put or something after he after he's done fighting. And then if I would have told you that Brock Lesnar split open Roman Reigns' head and basically he was squirting blood all around, you'd be like, "No, nah, mate, that's like a blood pack." Yeah, I, I'm. In fact, I said that to you earlier. I know that, that I'm letting everyone know what you, what you actually think about things. <laughs> Thank you, Doug. I if I said, is there a possibility? We're going to discuss this at the end. Okay, yeah. Uh, but okay, so who do you... So, realistically, not Roman Alvarez, because that's ridiculous. Who is he going to fight? Um, Omar Chavez, brother of Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should. I think we should move on. I, I think, okay, la- last thing. There are two options here. And coincidentally, yeah. they're close to each other on BoxRec. Spike O'Sullivan, who is basically who we expect is going to get the fight. Um, yeah. He's a, I believe he's a golden boy fighter too. So it kind of like is, yeah, he's golden boy. makes it easier. He's coming off an HBO win. Like I can see HBO fully being on board for this. However, maybe in September, Canelo needs a tune-up. They don't want O'Sullivan to lose here. And if I'm, if I'm golden boy, I'm like basically dangling O'Sullivan, but then just yank him at the last second. Like, sorry, he's taken. He's going to fight Lemieux next. Um, Why don't you guys get an opponent on your own, not one of our fighters? I hear um, Ramon Alvarez is available. (laughs) And then the other option is Roberto Garcia, who has um, had some trouble getting licensed in America. I will acknowledge that. And the last time he fought in America, he fought in what is literally, you can look this up, one of the poorest places in America, and he fought there twice. It's far Texas. It's like one of the most poverty, what, what, what impoverished areas in the country. At least I, I yeah. saw it on this, this list of like top 10 most impoverished cities of America. Far was like number one or something on the list. Anyway, so he's had trouble um, getting licensed and I, and... Uh, yeah, I think he could be a guy that they pick. He's a Mexican dude. He's got some size. He's also 38 years old. So basically he's going to get it going there and give, get beat up. Yeah. yeah. But basically everyone's going to do that. If you're walking into the ring with Golovkin, if you're not rated like in the top five. Yeah. True. Um, let's move on because we've answered the question, um, that I said, uh, Floyd, he said that, um, if Javante Davis wins his next fight, that they've that he's already talked to Tom Luffler of Top Rank and basically said that we want the Lomachenko fight. Do you believe him? Um, no, because uh, Tom Luffler doesn't work for Top Rank. I said Todd, um, De- or I meant Todd DeBuff. You can believe that. <laughs> I can't know, you? I know what you meant. I was just calling you out, but um, ah, uh, not hugely. I don't think that he would put Javante in so soon. I mean, there's a little bit of a of a conspiracy scenario that Javante kind of called him out the other day and that he, to punish him, he's going to put him in with Lomachenko. But that, to me, is not entirely realistic. I don't think he puts him in with Lomachenko this soon. I feel like he, 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 think, he thinks he can make a lot more money through Davis. And I mean, and now uh, Lomachenko's moved up to 135 anyway. Like, is it that realistic? Yeah, that's that's the point. Um, that's one good point of like he's already moving up in weight. So like, is is are they really gonna try to make that fight? But I believe Floyd, one hundred percent, because Floyd has not been 
been like kind when it comes to matching his fighters. It's almost that's kind true. of like really hard to be a Floyd Mayweather fighter. And I think that's why some guys have not signed with him. Like Shakur mm-hmm. Stevenson, it was highly, it was rumored that he would be signing with Floyd and he didn't. In the end, he signed with Top Rank. And I think people look at how he's matched his fighters, how Davis at 19 years old, I think it was 19, was basically given a world title fight. And I think most of us could have said he's not ready for this. Yeah. Or he might have been 22 or whatever. I think that was David Benavides. But like all these guys <laughs> get matched really tough. And I think it's, um, he's 100% serious. I think Floyd sees too much of himself in his fighters. I mean, I think that's probably what he looks for is like, which of these guys, these young prospects remind me of me, I'll sign you. And he judges them based off of himself and what he would do. And he probably looks at it and says, yeah, when I was his age, I would have beat Lomachenko. Um, and I, and I think, uh, that's really not the reality. I think we can both agree with that, that like, as you know, Davis is a good fighter. Yeah. But is he good enough to beat Lomachenko? Like, I'm not even going to answer that question. I just think that um, that's not the storyline here. The storyline is that Floyd um, thinks his fighters are as good as him. And he that's how he matches them. And I, that's why I think 100% Floyd's being serious here. Okay. That's an interesting take. Do you do you not think that he's maybe trying to just get Javonta's name out there a bit more? Sort of to hype the fight in a, in a, in a while, not next. I don't think we haven't seen this from Floyd with his fighters. He this is not how he hypes them up. It's weird. He's he hypes his fighters up very different from the way he did his his own hyping up. Like he basically was just a loudmouth when it came to his career. But with his fighters, he's actually taking on more of a promoter role. And I think it's smart because if they lose, he ends up looking like an idiot. And I'm sure he doesn't want to. And my yeah. my justification as to why I think Floyd is kind of judging Gervonta off of what he believes like what he sees in himself is that Floyd actually is like doing interviews and like taking the steps to go into the UFC Mm. the amount of confidence you have to have in yourself to really consider that and then follow through with it if he does is like you you have to see yourself a certain way to do that yeah True. I I just I just don't see it happening that soon. If it if it was, I think it, it'd be a fun fight. But I, we all know what like the end result is going to be. Um, I just I just don't really understand why he'd do it. Like it, he doesn't really gain anything from Javonta going and getting a twelve round beating. I, but then I as as you say, he sees if, that he could win. Yeah, he sees sort of himself in Javonta, and that's why he's pushing it, which is. I think fair enough. Yeah, I, I I don't think we really need to go more on this. Um, we because obviously every other outlet is running with the the news that Floyd has said he's going to go to the UFC. So like, watch ESPN if you want to hear about that. I guess. Yeah. Um, Eddie Hearn keeps talking about Joshua and Wilder happening this year. Does that make you think that it's not happening? Uh, a lot of things make me think that it's not happening. Um, although, actually, something that I think could make it happen recently was Joshua being ordered to fight Povetkin. Um, because if they can't make a deal, that's going to go to a purse bid. And Povetkin's backer, Rybinski, who has some serious dollars behind him, would probably win that purse bid. And then AJ Povetkin would be in Russia, which Hearn obviously doesn't want. So he might be slightly more motivated to make the Wilder fight because of that. Uh, but I still don't think it happens this year. Um, I'm with you. I think there's all this stuff happening, but 
Eddie Hearn's not stupid. And I think based off of his success, we could, it's safe to infer that he knows what he's doing. Mm. And from a promotional standpoint, you build fights. You build them as big as they can and you cash out on them before the, the, the value of the fight starts to depreciate. I yeah. think those are the right words to use, by the way. Yeah, you, would, you just about got that. Okay, cool. So I think that's that's the whole thing here, and I think Hearn is gonna he's he's gonna milk milk us. Well, you guys, no, I agree. You guys he, and and you if if uh, AJ fights Miller in the US, I'm not gonna go to it. So like whatever. I mean, unless it's in Vegas. If Ve- if if AJ fights in Vegas, you can you can bet that I'll be there. It'll it'll be in Brooklyn though. If yeah. he fights Miller, Wilder will be in in uh in Vegas, and it's going yeah. to be amazing. It will be great. Roman Gonzalez is going to face Pedro Guevara, who's a former, I think, light flyweight champion. Um, um, yeah, winnable. Definitely winnable. Well, uh, you should win. You read the question. I wasn't finished, no, but, I, but that's what I asked okay, him. I asked, I, is it winnable? Yeah, it definitely is winnable. 100%. I mean, they're not gonna ta- they weren't going to take a really hard fight after the two fights he just had. And it, it sets him up for one more big title fight, which is probably all he has left, really, at this point. I am going to disagree with you, and I apologize for it. Okay, but you don't I have to apologize. I completely disagree, because Guevara's never been knocked out. This dude is as tough as nails. Every fight that he's been in that he's lost, he has basically made the... Uh, took, take, took in the uh, he's taken the other guy to hell and back. Nobody gets easy wins with him. Ken Shiro, I think, should have lost to, to, to Guevara. Guevara's losses have all been controversial. Mm. And um, incidentally, two of them have been in Japan against Japanese fighters. Guevara's going to beat Gonzalez. Okay. I, I, I like that you're really, you're really going hard on this. I, I, I think it utterly depends on how much of Gonzalez is still there. I mean, I I really think that that second fight could have taken a serious amount out of him. Yeah, and if if that's the case, then yeah, he he could well lose. But I think I think they've picked a fighter who they think is going to be more over the hill than Gonzalez, and He's they're younger. lining it up for one fight, and then they're going to try and make a world title fight if he wins obviously Guevara's 28 so he's a couple years younger than Gonzalez and like mm-hmm. the I'm not saying that he's a better boxer than, than Gonzalez or anything like that what I'm saying is that this guy you are not going to get like you just you're not going to dominate him yeah it's not an easy fight and if it's not easy I think mentally that's going to be tough on Gonzalez to mm. go head-to-head with the guy who's just not backing down I think that's going to be really tough for him. Gary Russell Jr. is going to fight Jojo Diaz. They'll yeah, fight for, it's nice. for the featherweight title. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, one thing I, I, I wonder is, like, what's the storyline going into this? Um, well, it's nice to get Gary Russell's annual fight out of the way. <laughs> um, I'm excited for that. I, 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 I like this fight a lot, actually. I, it's, it's a fight between someone who we're not entirely sure about them. I, I would say I'm not entirely sure about how far Diaz can go. I think, would you agree? Yes. And it's a fight against someone who we know where they are. We, we kind of know all we're going to get from, from Russell. So that's why I find it quite a fun fight. I think it's two skilled guys. 
So I think I'm looking forward to it a little bit, actually. I, I mean, Russell just needs to be more active. I, I, like, you can't really root for him too much because he never fights, which is an issue and could be an issue now because he's starting to get towards the end of his career. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm not sure who to call on this one, actually, as well. I'm, I'm a little bit split. Um, my take on this fight is, uh, is pretty much that I like it, first of all. Yeah, I really like it. Um, and secondly, I think the it's going to answer a lot of questions um, because not Gary Russell. I think we kind of know Gary Russell's pretty good. Yeah, he's just not like. I mean, I think in the Lomachenko fight, he showed that he's close to that level, mm-hmm. but clearly in the next tier. Yeah, and that's still really damn good. Yeah. And um, the only thing is, like, you kind of forget because he doesn't fight that much. And what do you remember about him? He's had one fight that's really stuck out in people's memories, and that's the fight where he lost, where he was competitive, but he lost. And it's very clear that he lost. And I think a lot of people kind of lose sight of the fact that Russell's, you know, was once the the best um, prospect in boxing, voted best prospect in boxing, and also that he's just a, a, a solid fighter. And he doesn't, mm. it does himself no favors yeah absolutely just that inactivity just kills him really as sort of uh, in terms of attracting viewers and attracting fans i mean i you can't you can't fight once a year in those lower weight classes where you're not sort of a standout knockout artist or something we know he's a fun fighter to watch we know he's a skilled fighter but he's just that inactivity is just going to sort of cripple what could have been a really fun career. If we'd had him versus Frampton and Santa Cruz and all that, I, I, how much fun would that have been? But it just hasn't happened. I'm going to, this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I actually think this is the, the better storyline. Okay. Because beating those guys, we would have, you know, like, okay, cool, Frampton is better or Santa Cruz is better for it. But like, we have the opportunity to see a prospect rise to the occasion. Mm. And jojo's career thus far has been extremely disappointing i mean pretty similar to the way russell's been where it's like we we thought he was really good but like did the flaws just keep popping out i mean i don't think we've seen that too much with russell when he Mm. does fight he's pretty dominant um with the exception of the lomachenko fight um but with jojo it's like every fight it's like he shows something but it's like yeah but you're you have no power like you just i can't envision i can't project this out to world title level yeah and in the event that he rises and and he is able to beat russell it's great and the other aspect of this is that you have a golden boy fighter fighting one of Heyman's guys yeah which is nice and and it, it just kind of builds on the on the whole thing there's this narrative that is slowly been changing in boxing and it's that Heyman is not bad for the sport. He actually might just be trying to do whatever is best for his fighters. And in the event that it's signing with BT Sport or signing with Matchroom or signing a deal to fight Terrence Crawford, which is basically a death sentence, but hey, that's the best thing you can do for your career at this point. And in this event or in this in this situation, signing up to fight one of Golden Boy's guys. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a prediction for how it, uh, the, what the result will be? I think uh, I think Russell will outbox him at the end of the day. I think Russell wins a decision. I'm with you on that. Um, 
does Austin Trout deserve a fight with Jermel Charlo? That's the rumor that um, Charlo is going to be fighting Austin Trout. Yeah, I, I've seen that as well. Um, I don't think he deserves it. Um, I don't think it's probably good for his health at this point. Um, I think he, he obviously doesn't win it. But in terms of sort of vacant people at the top of 154, as we talked about earlier, there isn't really anyone about. So I can understand why he'd get it. Um, I just think like I was looking at is it, it like Trout's got like the best resume in boxing. He doesn't have like he didn't win most of his big fights. But just look at the guys on Trout's resume. Yeah, it's insane. Cotto, Canelo, Lara, Charlo, Hurd, who obviously is now come up as being a, a good champion yeah we yeah, now know that's a, yeah that's a disgusting resume like that's really good win or lose yeah i mean and he just came out of nowhere you know he just like went kodo like who's austin trout beats him i mean that run of kodo canelo laura can compete with anything because kodo was coming off of a loss um mm. the uh what loss he was coming off of the mayweather loss yeah but like that's mayweather and then and then Trout basically goes into to rebuild mode and comes back and goes, Charlo heard and now he's gonna fight the other Charlo. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's ridiculous. That's that's literally the sort of the top people at one five four and one of the top people at one sixty, which who, is ridiculous. Who was one of the top at one fifty four? Yeah, who was probably the best at one fifty four. I I mean, if you look right now, the top th- the top three at one fifty four, he's fought them all. Yeah. Laura, Heard, and then Charlo will, yeah. will have fought. And then um, then at 160, he's fought Canelo and he's fought Jamal Charlo. Like that's two of the top four, you would say. Yeah. Insane. Um, so yeah, what a resume. This, this weekend, we got Daigo Higa versus um, somebody. <laughs> uh, he's, so it's a fight that. he's going to win? think that's safe uh, yes, to say but he's gonna win yeah, uh why should definitely. people care about daigo higa i mean maybe let's see if he knocks out a guy who's never been knocked out you know i think i think that's he's gonna win the fight i think we can basically just say that now um he's gonna fight a guy who's fought calify um he fought uh, a british prospect called andrew selby um he lost wide uds um in fairness it was calify's ninth fight so he can't really take too much from it but you know, is he going to KO him is basically anything. Is Higa this unstoppable Japanese monster? No, we don't really know yet because he hasn't really fought anyone. Yeah, I, I, he's one of those guys that you're not going to know what what he's really about until he um, until somebody stands up to him. Because Hi, uh, Higa has a style that he just bullies people. Yeah. Just rushes them, creates the kind of fight that he wants, and it's a, it's a pace nobody likes to fight at. It's aggressive, and if you're not down for it, like he he's gonna break you. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, Thursday night, Francisco Vargas will fight will fight Rod Selka. I mean, yeah. What would you even want to say about that fight? Can Selka even make one thirty? Like, is it gonna be at one three five? I don't know. Uh, I don't particularly care. Yeah, why are you asking such difficult questions? <laughs> I mean... Do you have box like, rec? You should consult that later. Um, I, I just don't even know what even to say about that fight. It's not no, a good but fight. I actually, that's a legit question because I have no clue what they're fighting at, but I got a press release today, so let's see what this um, says. Yeah, it doesn't even say on box rec. Um, 
it's a super featherweight fight. He has 130. And like... Um, I mean, Salka's Salka last fight was at 140. Yeah. Well, he weighed in at 143. Yeah. He hasn't fought at 130 since 2015. So like, this is um, going to be interesting. I mean, and how do we think that Vargas is even going to look? I mean, he's clearly gone through some serious wars. Including Lost. one with uh, Stephen Smith. Including one with the great Steve Smith. Yeah, you forgot that first bit. Which was only stopped with Smith clearly way ahead on the cards uh, due to that injury. But, you know. Yeah, well, that that's it for this week. Um, there's no other real <laughs> fights to talk about. Um, if you want access to a daily podcast, a long-form podcast covering... Um, the first episode was about Al Heyman, and it's a real deep dive into where he comes from all the way up to basically modern time. Um, it's about an hour and 20 minutes long, just about that subject. I would recommend signing up for our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash Sundaypuncher. There's just, you know, more extra podcasts there if, like, you can't get enough of boxing. And uh, thanks for listening. Yeah. I put the drink in the headlock Tryna cross me, boy, you better not Four until four, I'ma spell out Do it, they can't cause it's deadlock Four until four, I'ma spell out I put the drink in the headlock